Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce you to our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St Vincent's Health Australia, and our guest, Karen Walsh, who is the CEO of MICA Projects and chair of the Australian Alliance to End Homelessness. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, both Karen and John will be with us via phone for this episode. John, over to you. Thanks, Dan. Karen, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, look, thank you for spending the time to talk to us in this very challenging time, and I'm sure you're very busy. But let's jump into some questions around um, homelessness and health, which um, appears in the Parity magazine. So you've been leading homeless work for many years now um, and have spoken on it on a number of occasions. But particularly your article in this edition from the Australian Alliance in Homelessness about leaving no one behind, this really outlines the problems really clearly, but it's Things don't seem to be getting any better. What, what do you think that is? What's, what's the problems in the system that things aren't getting any easier for homeless people? Well, I think Australia is in an interesting point in time in history because um, we, we failed to have a united political front on that homelessness is a problem. <laughs> um, people know that it's a problem, but we certainly are not um, sharing you know, the kind of solutions and changing policies where policies need to be changed so that we actually have a solution to increase the supply of affordable housing. So I think when we come to talking about homelessness and healthcare and housing together, that's even a bigger challenge because governments work in such silos. Um even, you know, we, we can see that rough sleeping is increasing, particularly in capital cities, although in Brisbane it has decreased and it's still now static, you know, between 100 and 150 in the city, um, whereas it used to be 365 on an ongoing basis. And it, what we know about housing and homelessness is that it's not just the personal circumstances of people that lead them into homelessness. It's also significant structural change and economic climate that people are in. So we saw homelessness surge when prosperity was um, increasing and people started to um, think about development in our inner city suburbs and suddenly we've got massive development, people are being displaced we had change in regulation of boarding houses and hostel, which we absolutely advocated and support, but we didn't replace that stock of housing yeah. as quickly or to the amount that we needed to. So there's there's policy drivers that need to change if we're going to address affordable housing. Yeah. So, look, that's absolutely true. I mean, the Rooming House Act were needed, needed review and it was a great thing to do that, but you're absolutely right. No... No other supply came in to fill it. So in this article in Parity magazine, the Australian Alliance End Homelessness does articulate these gaps in policy and, 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 and the models of care. But if you had to choose one thing that had to happen right now, 
what would be the fundamental change that's going to be maybe a domino effect to move everything else? What What's the one thing that we need to do now? I think we need to integrate healthcare and housing and homelessness responses more quick, more quickly than we are, yep. um, either while people are homeless and when they're housed. We know that supportive housing is a solution and that supportive housing needs to have healthcare as part of it for the most vulnerable and those who are chronically homeless. Um, you know, we have data now of over 3,000 people that have been on capital city streets across Australia that demonstrates really clearly that we've got high morbidity, high percentages of chronic disease, high percentages of substance use and mental illness. And when you put those things together, people are at more at risk of death. So we mm. need to integrate. And I don't think there's – I think every community needs to look at what's the ecosystem that integrates healthcare and housing and homelessness in their city because we've all done things that we think are the most important right now mm -hmm. and they might look different in Melbourne to Brisbane or Perth or Sydney. So it's important that we consider, well, we the lessons are really clear. We need integration between homeless teams and teams that are working in housing with clinical nurses being working alongside those teams or embedded in those teams. We need really good relationships with hospitals to identify people who are homeless when they go to hospital and then really good follow-up support, whether that comes from the hospital, like having home hospital in the home or whether it comes through a referral to a community team. Um, you know, different hospitals and different systems are better placed to do that. So you need it to be very localised. We know we also need a really good primary healthcare setting that you can specialise in um, providing that integration between mental health, substance use and physical care, physical health. Mm. And that's, you know, a GP in the mix and whether a GP is working with nurse practitioners. But absolutely they need to be integrated with the social services sector. So it's how both the health sector and the social services sector, which could be housing, homelessness, but also NDIS and others, can actually get really effective ways of moving people through complex eligibility processes, aged care is another, and also getting the primary health care that they need. But the more intense care they often need when they come out of hospital through discharge planning and responses yeah. to discharge planning. Well, for those listening to this podcast and this particular interview, integration, that's the one word I think you need to take away, how the, the elements of the system can work better together. Thank you, Karen. That's fantastic. So, look, I, I suppose that the... Um, the COVID-19 crisis has, has thrown up a few curveballs, many curveballs. But look, one of them, the, the one that's just arisen more recently is the high unemployment that's going to occur and that tipping more people into homelessness currently happening now. How do you see the system coping with that or responding to that? Oh, look, I think that we're in early days, but we're certainly going to see people come to homeless services that have never come before already. I know people are, are wondering what they're going to do to pay their rent while they wait for their first payment from Centrelink, if, in fact, they've even been able to get onto the Centrelink website. Um, so, you know, the system, 
I think we had pretty, we have some really good safety net systems for people that are familiar and in them. We've never had a system and some of the safety nets been eroded. So there are some fragile parts to our safety net that are even going to have more pressure points on them now. And certainly how we provide rent relief, how people know they can get rent relief, how they don't wait too long, um, whether there's enough money being provided to give rent relief. Um, that's the sort of um, communication that needs to get out there. Um, giving people an income is great, but people have lost their jobs today. They don't have so they don't have anything in the bank because they've been casual employees. So they're the people most at risk of tipping very quickly. The other thing that it's raised very um, sharply is overcrowding. So yeah. we're in a situation now where we're trying to do social distancing. We're trying to get people to practice what um, infectious disease control looks like as a whole community. In some ways, this is, should be a part of our normal practice every day in homelessness because we're dealing in situations where people's health deteriorates because of sanitation or because of poor housing or too many people in housing. But now we're going to find people are have to going to have to leave. So, I mean, we have seen the Victorian government um, and Queensland yesterday put out a $24.7 million um package that is to respond to um, adaptable quick responses as well as uh, motel accommodation for rough sleepers. Well, that's positive. Um, domestic violence. Um, so, and I know that other states have been putting rough sleepers into accommodation as well. I'm not sure of the technical way they're doing it. But so, you know, really this this is forcing the issue that we have to get people indoors and in housing and that it's really important for their health and well-being, and we need to maintain that. You know, we've got to keep doing this all the time, so we don't have so many people sleeping on the streets of Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And look, hopefully, um, Karen, with this extra housing, maybe there's going to be some positive benefits in the longer term with this. We'd hope. Well, we haven't got extra housing; we've got extra transitional arrangements. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we hope. Um, so I hope it does put a spotlight on exactly how much housing we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're talking about the health and well-being of the community. We need to make sure that homeless people aren't more marginalised in this process and we need to make sure that there's learnings in this about yeah. why we need people to be housed. Yeah. So, Karen, the other question of um, the isolation or the you know, commu you know staying at home and being isolated for good infection mm. control. How knowing we've got a client group here that are very isolated at the best of times um, for a whole range of reasons. How do we make sure we we can we we have we reach out in different ways to make sure we keep connected to this element in our society? Yeah. Well, I think what I'm hearing the community sector is doing really well is they're mobilising their workforce to maintain what they need to for social distancing, but they're really getting into doing phone support. People that they know, like some younger people, have mobile phones that actually work, so they're doing FaceTime groups. Um, uh, but the, with the chronically homeless and people that we know in social housing, we're getting a system where we want people to ring them really regularly. Um, yeah. So people are, you know, getting their systems together, looking at who's the most vulnerable, who's who's the people that need 
um, to be addressed quickly and keeping up that phone. Um, as well as that, I think the big issue in Brisbane, I don't know what it's like in Melbourne, there's been a total disruption to all food services, um, personal hygiene services. So we've been really busy in the last week. I mean, we've distributed over 400 meals already. And wow. so we have to package them up and some of it's sandwiches and fruit. Um, we are doing some pre-cooked meals through our social enterprise so people can heat them up at home. Um, so I think it's really important to make it simple. Um, it has to be all individualised. It's not like you can take food and dish it out um, in a street van anymore. So uh, mm. everyone is really looking at what are some creative ways. Um, some people are looking at how they can use volunteers differently. Um, but, you know, how sustainable it is over the long run, of course, is what everyone is thinking. But in the, at the moment, we're getting emergency hygiene packs out there pretty quickly. People, we're setting up washing hand washing stations um, when right, we're distributing right. the food. Um, so I think that it's really just being adaptable to the circumstances as quickly as possible. And now we know the challenges as we've moved to this next stage that we need to get people in motels and we need to get families into apartments. They cannot live in hotel rooms by themselves yeah, with yeah. kids. So um, we've got to have a busy couple of weeks, I think, to get <laughs> well, well, we'll organised. Well, we'll be letting you get back to it very shortly. It sounds incredibly yeah. busy on the front line. Look, just I did want to go but back I just to... Say, one, oh, I just want to it. say that it's been so great having health professionals as part of our team. Health professionals yeah. know what infectious disease, they understand the the way in which you need to respond to it. They can talk about the seriousness of it. They can also tell people what the symptoms are. So you know that you've got qualified people giving advice to the people we're working with because the mainstream health system is absolutely unable to do that at the moment. So if we benefited the thing that we've benefited most from is having these people who are skilled at working with our population and are providing such a vital link of giving yeah. accurate health education as well as observing symptoms. So it's right. really, really important that uh, we consider this for the future because not everyone can go to a hospital. If you keep putting the services in a hospital, then, yep. you know, you when, you when you really need them, you've got a problem with people being totally disconnected. Yep. So that, that idea that health services can assist supporting health in the community with the kind of, you know, programs like microprojects and others, um, where those very highly skilled health practitioners can operate out of the community is very helpful. Yeah, it's that, great. I can't yeah. can't stress how wonderful it is to have those people as part of our team. Fantastic. Oh, that's a and look. In, the, in this parody magazine, there's many stories of that exactly that kind of model of care, and we'll be unpacking that in detail with some of our yeah. other interviews. So we look forward to that. And I think so, St Vincent's has been such a leader in this field for many many years, well before. Um, a lot of the stories could be written. But, um, so thank you for the leadership that St Vincent's has played in this space. Oh, fantastic. And, and just, just to note, we haven't paid Karen for that comment, but thank you so much. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, look, uh, look, to finally, just to finish off this interview and if, if there's anything else you wanted to say, but one of the questions I had for you is what inspires you? You've been doing this work for so long, Karen. You've been leading it. You've come in some, some very frustrating times talking to politicians and others, what keeps you going? Why do you keep doing the job you do? 
What inspires you? Well, I think the people we work with inspire me to do better and I just think it's outrageous that we live in such a wonderful country and we are leaving people behind as social policies and health policies change, like all the policies around deinstitutionalised, and we're just not keeping up. We're not bringing these people in. And I believe, you know, it's just my belief is that we're all equal and we all should have the right to um, the resources a country produces and we need to make sure we stop leaving the most vulnerable behind because they deserve a good life as much as any of us do. And I think that a dignified life and a life where you're treated as an equal is what is good for society, it's good for the individual and it's good for the economy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they add so much to our community. And if we exclude them, it's a, it's a deficit for all of us. So I absolutely agree. Karen, was there anything else you wanted to say before we finish up? What else would you like? No, um, I'd better get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Karen. You are, you are at the front line, so let, let, you, let you get back to it. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Bye. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parody Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.